Dear Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege of fellowship. None of us here is worthy to fellowship with you. But you have granted us the privilege and access, giving us the gift of your spirit to enable us in worthiness, righteousness and rightness to sit with you, to dine and fellowship with you. We claim not a single merit at this. We give all the glory to your son, Jesus. And we ask tonight that you flood our understanding with light. We submit ourselves as children to the light of the knowledge of the glory of your son. We believe and receive that questions are answered. Doubts are dissolved. Myths are unraveled. And in this atmosphere, there's no confusion. There's no error or distraction. Together, as a church, we behold Jesus Christ, your son, even as he sees us in him. Right in here, he's glorified as we're edified, built up, empowered by the power of your Holy Spirit. Alongside those who hear us every day and the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Nice to see you again tonight. Amen. All right. Ephesians in chapter 1. And... Uh, I suppose we'll get to our text tomorrow morning, but then let's clear up the intro at this point. Ephesians in chapter 1 and 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, what do we say in the morning? Spiritual wisdom, right? Wisdom of the Spirit. Okay? wisdom of the spirit or wisdom spiritual wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding that you may know what is the hope of his calling that was our theme in march and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance where now help me out amongst the saints who were there in the morning acts 20 32 acts 26 also verse 18 Amongst the saints, Colossians 1 16, sorry, 26 to 27. Amongst the saints, and we looked at inheritance. And so, in the morning, we again reestablished a very fundamental fact that you must speak in context. And context is not just the words in the book you're reading, context will be uh, the basis of that book. So, the basis of the epistles is founded on the Old Testament. Now, I'm using the Old Testament for the sake of reference, even though there's no way in the Bible Genesis to Malachi is called Old Testament, but the fa- for the sake of today's verbiage, we use Old Testament. And I trust that in coming years, uh, some translations will alter that statement and refuse to adopt it. Because it wasn't used by Jesus or any of the apostles. They never called Genesis to Malachi Old Testament. The words they called it, they could call it the word of God. Jesus called it the word of God, John 10 and 34 and 35, to whom the word of God came. He referred to the book of Psalms when he was looking at Psalm 82, precisely verse 6. He called it the word of God. It's also called the law. Now, it's called the law and the prophets because, now again, when we say law, um, is the word Torah majorly and we, when we say law in our language uh, today's language, law means rules and regulations but they didn't see the law as rules and regulations um, you know, uh, the law of the Lord was the word of God 
Okay? So when they said Torah, Torah simply meant doctrine, teaching, direction, wisdom, understanding. That's what it was. So they had the law. They called it the law. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5, 17, Think not I'm come to destroy the law, um, but to fulfill it. I'm come not to destroy the law and the prophets. So he called it the law. Then he called it the law and the prophets. So it's called the law, then the law and the prophets. It's also called the scriptures. Uh, Luke 24, 45. Um, uh, it says, uh, uh, um, uh, 2044. These are the words I speak to you. Well, I saw you actually that all things will be fulfilled between Lord Moses, prophet, and the Psalms. Because I mean, he opened you the understanding, verse 45, that they may understand the scriptures. It's called the scriptures. It's also called the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So there was no such division as Old and New Testament. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Luke 2444. It's also called Moses and the prophets. Luke 24 and verse 27. Okay? So it's called the scriptures, Moses, the law, the prophets. It's also called the gospel. We saw that in the morning. Galatians 3, 8. Hebrews 4, 2. It's also called the promise. Hebrews 4, 1. Then also in Romans 1, 1, Paul calls it, uh, he said, um, um, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, separated to the gospel of God, which are a four promise in the holy scriptures by his prophets. So in verse 1 he calls it the gospel of God. He calls that the gospel of God. Um, in fact in Romans 1.16 he calls it, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth first to the Jew then the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So he calls the Old Testament the righteousness of God. In Romans 15 and verse 4, it says, um, the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that's the doctrine, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. It calls it doctrine. They are for our doctrine. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, and verse 11, precisely 11 into 12, it says, the things happened to them for examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the hands of the world will come. So every writer authenticated the authenticity, pardon my use of, uh, like my repeat of words, like a tautology uh, of the Old Testament. Romans 16 and verse 26 calls it the revelation of the scriptures. The revelation of scriptures of the prophets. So there was no time it was called Old Testament. There was no time. Genesis to Malachi was called Old Testament. And equally, there was no time Matthew to Revelation was called New Testament. Not, not, not a single time. So yet again, you know, we, we, but then for the purpose of reference, you know, so that we don't, we know exactly what I'm referring to. Um, we go to those books. For example, if I say Matthew chapter 1, even though Matthew really has no chapter 1, but you go to chapter 1 because your Bible, the translation you use has chapter 1. So basically, it's just our reference. But never let the phrase Old Testament become your interpretation. Is that clear? Let the book interpret itself. Since the book doesn't refer to it as Old Testament, in your interpretation, you don't refer to it as Old Testament. So, so for the sake of this study, we call it Old Testament. We said the background, therefore, of the four Gospels will remain 
the Old Testament. We did that in the morning, we repeated it in the afternoon, that the background of the four Gospels, which is the context, and I, and I think I, we, we did some explanation of context in the morning, right? In the afternoon. That context is the basis by which you speak. Context is what you are reading as you speak. Context is what was happening as you speak. So you cannot use the epistles as the context of the four Gospels because the epistles were not written when it happened. So it can't be the context. Now, it could be its further interpretation looking at its conclusion. And in the afternoon, we said the New Testament without the Old Testament is what? Oh, yeah, you, 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 you need to speak in other tongues. Is what? Incoherent. And the Old Testament without the New Testament is what? Inconclusive. Okay, so the New Testament is the destination of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the basis, the source of the New Testament. Okay, so to know where we are, we look at where we're coming from. All right? So that's important. We read both together, and that's what Jesus did in Luke 24, 45. To understand the scriptures when the Greek is the word sunyemi, to put it together and understand it. So we said that in the first two sessions, the basis. Now, we now said something very important in the second session this afternoon, that the New Testament writer quote the Old Testament out of context. And a lot of people do do that today. Uh, they think, I know people that say it authoritatively. That, you know, what matters is, um, um, I, like, you just go to the Old Testament and pick something and uh, just say, well, that's what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And, um, for example, uh, someone goes to the uh, Old Testament. I'm trying to look at something uh, and then says, uh, okay, let me give you a typical one, which is in, no, that would take us a long journey. But... <laughs> That, you know, you just say, this verse is, uh, I, I, okay, let, let, very, very good. Uh, you say, I'm blessed. Say, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. You say, and then you say, uh, Abraham's blessing. And then you say, it, now you went from Ephesians 1, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Then you just transport yourself to Genesis 12, where you are blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. Then you jump to when he blessed, uh, when he took Isaac to Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. See, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Then you go to uh, Genesis, um, that should be 27, where um, Isaac blessed Jacob. So you are blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. You're blessed with the corn. You're blessed with the increases. Is it okay? Uh, Abraham didn't mention corn. Isaac did. Um, Jacob didn't mention corn. Uh, Paul didn't mention corn. You are blessed. And, and, and so you say, well, what's important is that's what the Holy Ghost is saying. No, no, that, that's, that's really wrong. The New Testament author didn't write that way. Now, why they have not quoted everything, I explained it in the afternoon, right? Because there is no reason why I will quote everything when I know you have the book. Rather, I will make references or allusions to it which is why we developed the concept of the codified language. We said the codified language is when a book is writing about another book, rather than quote all the contents, he makes references to parts of it so that you can go back and read it. So I gave you the illustration of writing a, a, a school project, a thesis. Now, I added something else, and we said that when you, I call it landmarks, that when you want to know where a statement is from, what's the landmarks? If I ask for a description and you tell me it's number four, um, 
you can say number four Rawlings Crescent. And I said, I don't know Rawlings Crescent. And you say, uh, uh, the house is green. I said, so I said, okay, fine. What is the landmark? That is, the moment I see it, I know I'm there. Oh, you say, very, very well. Uh, you will see something, a billboard that says Stamford Bridge is falling. Now, I will see that one very easily. And that part, why are you laughing? It's a, it's a figure of speech. <laughs> and it's a landmark. Okay? So, I see it, I know I'm there. So, I pay attention to whatever is around it. Now, they use landmarks that they would drop a statement, a word, a phrase that would definitely take you back to an entire book to read them. You don't have to quote it. And so, um, um, for example, um, let me mention another illustration. Assuming we have been talking about a car, and I said, um, I mentioned the Mercedes-Benz S-Class or G-Wagon 2023 model, um, and I'm talking about it, and then I've described it in a book to you. Or we had a lecture uh, in the morning or a discussion, and I referred to the car so much and said, you know, and I described the car to you so much that I even showed you pictures. Maybe we rode in the car together. So the next conversation, I won't go over it. I just say, that car. Now, a thought party will not understand what I was talking about. That car, and I say, that car will be yours. You know, it won't be yours because this is a, an illusion. You rather have a good, have a real car next time, you know. So you go, that car, I'll just say, that car, or as I'm talking, I say, so the car? Now somebody who was not in the conversation in the morning just says, the car, and he begins to see a Toyota. You jumped into a conversation that you didn't know the Genesis. We're going to Genesis, that's why I started that way. Genesis. There has to be a genesis for you to know what the car is. So if you jump into the sounds of the genesis, you end up in the Malachi. <laughs> so when, when I drop such landmarks, it's because me and the fellow speaking, we have a prior conversation. All the churches Paul wrote to were churches he was known or he knew them, they knew of him. The only church it's believed he never visited uh, was the church in, uh, well, there's a little contest in that, but then maybe the church in Colossae. But the point was, whether the church in Colossae or the one disputed in Rome, there were prior conversations. Okay, let me you another, you give another one. If me and pastor are speaking, we've had many conversations. There are too many. So when we are talking, he doesn't need to go back to re-explain. For example, I know, for example, that he is not stable when it comes to football. No, but that's the way I can explain this particular part. He is not at all. He has jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped. There was a time he even was in, we were supposed to call up in China or something like that. I, can't, I shouldn't lie against you, so 
Forgive me, okay? <laughs> but he moved around the earth like the Satan of Job and looking for what, what to support. He moved with Mario everywhere. Maybe one day you go to his hometown. I don't know exactly what you want to believe. So he's going around. And we, oh, come on, let me get back to the word of God. So we, we have conversations. Now, if one day I just pick the phone and says, how's the phone? And we talk, and then you eavesdrop. And I say, oh. And I say something like, uh, oh, the, uh, anybody that jumps to that water, ah, huh, he will just drown. They say, hey, it means water will drown all, drown all of us. No, that's not what we meant. We must have referred to a particular water that we, didn't, we don't have to repeat in that conversation because we've been talking very frequently. So if God is drop on a conversation, the only way you know what I said to him is to have been at the beginning of the conversation. Now, here is Paul. He's in the church. He's taught them three and a half years. He told them in Acts 20, verse 32, verse 31, that he taught them three and a half years every day. Acts 19, verse 6, 7, 8, said he taught them the school of Tyranus every day. Okay? And we saw his mode of teaching. He'll go from Moses, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. He'll go through 39 books to teach. Now, he now drops... Something now happens and uh, one of the members of the church or something now goes wrong and he's not available, he's not around to answer their questions on that specific issue. Then he says, hey, Timothy, I need to talk to the church in Corinth. Um, I'm, I'm hearing there's a brother that has his father's wife and they're both lifting their hands and speaking in tongues in the service. We've got to stop that. I also heard that there's some folks there that all they do is they bring their wealth to church, they eat, eat alone, and people, you know, go who are hungry. I also know some guys I heard that even eating deep into how they worship, that they don't even interpret their tongues in the meeting. So, somebody said, oh, is that big? He said, yes, that big. So, let's address this issue. Now, is that letter all he ever taught them? No. You can't limit what he taught them to that letter. Let me see if I follow what I'm saying here. That letter will be a fragment of what he taught them. If you read that letter alone as Paul's teaching, you are eavesdropping into a conversation that began before that letter and maybe continued afterwards. Just follow what I'm saying tonight. So in that letter, would he use landmarks? Familiar words? Yeah. So the way to know the genesis of that letter is to read what they read. Study what they studied. Who's following this now? You following this? So that is how the epistles are. There will be things in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, that is not in Ephesians. There will be things in Ephesians that is not in Colossians. There will be things in Colossians that is not in Philippians. There will be things in Philippians that is not in 1 Thessalonians. There will be things in the book of Romans that will not be found in Ephesians. Right? Why? Because he addressed individual churches. Look at the book of Revelation. All the seven letters had different contents. Does it mean they have different messages? No. 
as touching the problems. That, now, let me give you another background. Pastor is here, and uh, he here. He will teach you the word of God generally. He uh, will teach you all the subjects of the word, who you are in Christ, the responsibilities. But there are times he's just specific to this congregation. By the virtue of praying, be led by the Spirit, and sometimes just seeing you. He knows exactly what to address. Now, if you step in in one of those days where he's addressing the issue specifically, and you think you have heard all his teaching, then you are wrong. Now he's addressing specific issues. Now in the church I pastor, since coming to church, for example, a pastor while is here, we pastor together. He pastors one of the churches, I pastor one of the churches, and she also does. Now we are teaching from a pool of doctrine. But they know that I tell them, except I direct you when I'm led to say, okay, we all should go in this direction. 90% of the times, they teach what is tailored for their churches. Pray. Look at your church. What do you think you need? Right? My job as your pastor is to ensure there are resources for every kind of issue. So where you have this, you pray. You say, okay, I, I, I believe in our church we, we need to talk about giving. Oh, fine. I'll just teach giving. Well, he won't teach giving as a singular subject, lifting it out of the context of scripture. He will explain the word of God, generally how to appreciate all the other truths of God's word, then zero in on giving. Who's following what I'm saying tonight? Now, you now step into when he's teaching giving and say that is holy thought. Then you were wrong. Do you get it? Now, think about the epistles like that. The intervention, specific issues were dealt with. So, all the epistles had different things they dealt with, right? So, the epistles had things that were common, but things that were not common. Come on, guys, are you here? So, what is, was common to all the epistles? What was common? The Old Testament. Because it's the basis of all they read. Come on. So, whatever is not in 1 Corinthians is in Genesis to Malachi. Whatever is not in Romans is Genesis to Malachi. Are you here? So, he fills in the gaps. Are you there? Because we know that was where he taught from. Who's following this tonight? Come on. Good. So, to get into the epistles without the Old Testament background is incoherent. You are eavesdropping and you are going to follow a rumor. So, it's critical that we do not read scriptures in isolation. It's critical that you don't read the scriptures in isolation. So, we said in the morning and in the afternoon that the New Testament author used the codified language. The codified language is when a book is writing about another book. It doesn't quote all the contents. It uses themes, references, names, experiences that he expects you, the reader, to go back to that book and read up everything that is there. So I usually call the epistles short notes of the Old Testament. Short notes. How many of you short notes in school? You often need it when you have not read. I got you. You guys say, you all say, please, please, ah, what's going to come out? 
last minute is what's going to come out. AOC, AOC, AOC. And they say, AOC is all. There was one, one, one particular uh, um, course like that. Uh, it was called land law. Was it land law? No, no, no. It was legal systems. That man, whenever he set his exams, that particular time, you know, normally it's a 200 level course, that's year two. So everybody should be having the exams the same day. You know, when you go and check the timetable, you see um, Monday, 9 a.m., year one, uh, they can say legal methods, year two, you know, everybody at the same time. But when this guy is doing his own course, Tuesday, Tuesday, 9 a.m., there is no other level writing because most people have had carryovers in that course. So it's exclusive time they give him. <laughs> From the fifth year to the second year, everybody is, so they'll use the whole faculty for his course. So one guy went to meet him. So everybody's always trying to guess and he, he, he hardly repeats old questions. You know, the, just a very, very ridiculous lecture. So this guy went to meet him. He said, sir, set your questions in the sun. I was called A. Ah, he looked at the guy. He said, yeah, go and set it anywhere. And the guy, no, the guy was fully prepared. And he did score it. That's how a Christian should be. Don't say, which verse is that? <laughs> Imagine. Sit down, sit down and say, Lamentation 3, Lamentation, Lamentation. There's no, no New Testament. I'll sit down, don't quote those. Sit down and say, Micah 2. Oh, don't quote those. I'm not under the law. I'm, not... <laughs> I'm a new creature. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Do you understand? So, a Christian doesn't look for AOC. Be like that guy. Anywhere. I'm here. In the volume of the book. Is that clear? I'm here. Are you following what I'm saying? It will interest you that there were three temptations of Jesus. One, if you turn the stone to bread, two, if you will worship, bow down and worship me, three, if you will jump from the pinnacle of the temple down. And Jesus' response, none came from the epistles. It's Deuteronomy. 8, 3, 6, 13, 6, 16, and Satan fled. Are you here? When he was in hell, right? When he died, there was not one single text he spoke from the epistles. It was the Psalms. When they were going to choose a replacement for Judas, the Psalms. When they wanted to talk about tongues, interpretation of tongues, on the day of Pentecost, it was Joel. When Paul was going to refer to tongues, edifying prophecy, it was Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. Are you following what I'm saying tonight? 
It makes what you are saying coherent. The Old Testament without the Old Testament is coherent, incoherent. The Old Testament without the New Testament is unfulfilling. It's like, where is the destination? Where are we going to? Are you here tonight? Good. So, it gives the context, the background. The background to it. It gives the background. To understand forgiveness of sins, to understand redemption from sins, you need to get it from where they're explaining it from. Where is this explanation is found in the Old Testament books. So, as you hold the book of Ephesians, which we are going to shortly, you are holding a book that converges on the Old Testament and emerges from there. Converges on it and emerges from there. Now, let me mention something, by the way. And I'm saying this for those of us who like to preach for performance, to preach to show knowledge. Now, at some point, that may be understandable. You're young and all that. But a preacher must be very careful. Now, if you have seen people in the bondage of wrong interpretation of scripture. I was in a country, I know I say this often, and I saw hundreds of people who did not speak in tongues, amongst other things, because they were told that they needed sanctification. And you know, those who say those things will also explain it. Sanctification, second work of grace, then they go through baptism, and they waited for years. Now, it's funny to you because you don't have that experience. But you can also create the same experience for others. It's just to mishandle scripture. I know it is very possible for a lie after a while to look true. Just having no people to see. We are, for example, in a media age where you can practically make advertisement look real. I grew up uh, I don't know whether that advert was in your country, but it was in mine. Uh, you know Super Blue Omo? Omo, Omo, Super Blue Omo, wash it brighter, and it's super bright. And, you know, now, I, I, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not to say this the way, but I'll say it that way. If you're into advertising, you lie. Sorry. But, they tell you, one-minute noodles. They play. <laughs> it's not true. You know, they, they will show you some, there are some cars, they are so rugged, the tires and all that, you go and try your tire. <laughs> Do you know we can package church doctrine that way? Because we want people to believe. And come to the churches. You be careful how you handle scriptures. If there's a question you can't answer, say I can't answer it. I don't know it. I don't know. Don't don't make don't look like a superstar. I don't know it. So we must be careful on how scriptures are handled. 
2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy, study to show thyself approved. The word study there means be eager, be diligent. It's not research. It's the word that means to be eager, to be diligent, to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that need not be ashamed. Now, I, I, I wish to God that they change that translation. The word unto God doesn't mean you are facing God. It's the word E-I-S um, by the Greek, which simply means uh, to show, show, show yourself approved by God, approved from God, right? And why did he say that? Because Timothy was in the midst of false teachers. So he said, now you need to be different. Story to show, be eager to show that you are approved by God, a, work, a workman that need not be ashamed, ashamed in the midst of false doctrine, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word orthotomia in the Greek, which simply means be careful in how you handle it. Which means what would defer you from false teachers is that you are careful. You are not frivolous. You are not self-ruled. You are not ambitious. You are not competing with people on who can quote the most. There was a guy like that, you know. Uh, he saw myself and my friends preach in 98. And we were, uh, those days, we would just be quoting Greek and Hebrew words. So I think he wanted to impress. So he got up and said, I want you to have your confession. Confession. Homo, homo lobby. <laughs> Everybody said, you know, homo lobby. Now, homo lobby in Yoruba means, without made it, means somebody whose mom sells cola nuts, you know. That's how we translated it. There was another friend like that, not a friend really, but a brother in Christ. He just got up one day, he said, hmm. Now, it will be around us when we're sharing together, myself, this was in 95 or so, and we're sharing the word and we talk, you know, things about redemption, the body of Christ, and he'll be around. So one day, I got into the room, I found him, said, hmm. So, wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I looked, what do you mean? So, what, huh, what am I seeing here? So I dismissed him. My friend said, no, no, let's hear him out. So what are you seeing? He said, hmm. Hmm. God is a spirit. He said, yeah? I am a spirit. He said, yes? Hmm. 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 He said, the scripture says, by his spirit, he created the earth. He said, eh? He said, hmm. That means by me. God created the, I said, God punish you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no amount of alcohol that should make someone say that. <laughs> someone else was sharing this and he said, we're joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs, joint heirs, joint heirs. He said, what's an heir for? An heir takes over his throne. <laughs> he, said, he said, the father is on the throne. He steps aside for the son to take over the throne. He said, let's assume. Let's just assume. You know, you know sometimes we're charismatic. We'll preach to a point like there's drugs. <laughs> so you now begin to say nonsense. And when you're on that platform, nobody can stop you. You'll be saying crap. See, you know, and then someone says, oh, I said, oh, assume it. Today, if God should die. <laughs> he said it on the pulpit. I was there. 
and they are looking for an heir to take over his throne. Say, brother, you are qualified. You are qualified. You are qualified. <laughs> what? There is no, even if they put all the drugs together, hard drugs, is not enough to make someone say that. Even if they are deceiving you, should you deceive yourself? Do you get it? So a man should be very careful. And I remember a friend of mine said this house one of the days we were studying together, and he said, he said, well, thank God for the new creation and what we have in Christ. He said, but don't let's give the new creation what God did not give to it. <laughs> we still pray. We still trust God. <laughs> you know, we still overcome temptation. <laughs> You know, you go to have people say nonsense. So, the truth is, you have to be very careful. You know, some people go to a point and they said, "Forgiveness of sin." And I said, mm -mm, "That there is no sin. Sin is dead." And one of the things about false doctrine is always in denial. You are denying. What are you denying? There is no. There is no. There is no. Till there is no God. Somebody came up and said, there's actually no devil. And it went on and on. I said, you are right. You are the devil. <laughs> ah, you are the devil. You get it? So we must carefully handle the scriptures. Let me give you my own experience. Sometimes I think that should be in the very early 90s, I heard a man preach. The man was preaching. Now, our meetings then used to be in the evenings, so I would go to their services in the mornings. The same way you used to do your meetings in the evening. We used to have our meetings in the evenings then. So I go to the services in the morning, and the man was preaching. Then he made a statement. He went to the book of Revelation. Then he said, I am he who died, who was buried and rose from the dead. I have the key. He said, that's the Holy Ghost. Somehow there was a way he said it. I was carried away. I don't know. I mean, I'm not usually carried away, but that day I was not just carried away. I was ferried away. So as I got to church that evening, I was teaching now we the sons of God. There was nothing in my sermon that should have led me to what the man said. I found a way there. There was nothing. I just said, guys, you know what? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, when I finished saying my revelation, one very honest sister said, Pastor M, did the Holy Spirit die? I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know what came over me. I heard it this morning. <laughs> And I did not process it. <laughs> you know, the same sister, very, very crazy sister. We went together for another meeting. We went together. So the man was preaching and said that the Bible says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Notice he did not say the Son. He said, who? So the sister said, so the Father of who? <laughs> <laughs> of who? 
<laughs> I said, you better keep your mouth shut. <laughs> this father man of God, you don't disagree with him, or else I'll be going home and they'll be doing deliverance for you here. I was like, <laughs> so we should handle the word well, right? And the more you talk to people, the more careful you should be, okay? So the, the coherence of the New Testament is found in the Old Testament. Now, it therefore means that you don't just, you know, people like extremes. It's like people knew that human beings like extremes generally. I mean, we just like extremes. That's just the truth. People get to know that tithing is not New Testament. Then they stop giving. Please explain the correlation. How is tithing is not New Testament giving? How? Not giving, sorry. How? People get to know that they are delivered. Then they say, Satan cannot oppress believers. You don't believe that. Satan oppresses believers. Why are you quiet? It does. Why are we supposed to resist the devil? Give no place to the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying? Believers walk in the flesh. Paul says that some act like mere men. Do you get the point? Can a believer be ignorant? Can he walk in the flesh? That's simple to understand. So sometimes we just tilt to it's like there's something you want to hear. That you just is equal to. And you know, many people give conclusion to what you have not concluded. What it means, therefore, is. <laughs> Who sent you there? So sometimes we tilt to the extreme. Very, very extreme. Now, pastor can come up and say that all of us are in the ministry. All of us. And I said that, you know, years ago, we. We had, so I was telling them that in the ministry we're all team, we're a team and all that. So these are people that are disciples. So I told them that the ministry we're all called to me. I told that this was 96, 7, 7 really. So one day we were talking, one of them just said, you know, Pastor, um, we're in a team. And we're, I said, eh. <laughs> when did I collect demon from you? And, <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> say, you know, as a team, you know, that's not smart. They took what I said and interpreted it on their own. Are you following what I'm saying? So, people usually, there's just this extreme they go to. Imagine going home and saying to your husband and say, In Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. You say there's no husband or wife. Is that what he said there? Are you following what I'm saying? So usually, we hear what we want to hear. And the cure to saying rubbish is patience. Just be patient. Must you preach it tomorrow? Must you preach it this year? Patience always makes us, when we hear more and listen more, there is no subject of God's word. If you hear pastor, the second time, you hear it better. The third time, it, if by the time you are preaching it, you won't be preaching out of ambition. 
is out of clear understanding and desire to bless. It's just what it is. Because every time you are in a hurry, you will not pay attention to details because you are in a hurry. People must know that, ah, I'm the latest rave in town. You are not a showbiz artist. You're a preacher of the scriptures. So we must handle God's word carefully. Very, very carefully. There is a thin line to want to correct error and getting into error yourself. It's a thin line. Because your first impression was not to correct error, is to bless the church. Along the line, you might want to correct something in the bid to bless the church. But going out to look for fault, you are going to be at fault yourself. Is that very clear? So, the context of the New Testament books is where? Is that clear enough? Uh-huh. You must read them together. So, before you say the Bible says on any subject, you must have read through the Bible. The Bible says on any subject, in fact, I had to correct, now I do a class for some um, theologians, younger people, so I do classes for them every week. So I had to say something three weeks ago. No, it was May. And I said that even a book we wrote, I've never said this publicly before. And even, even Pastor Wally is going to hear it for the first time. I don't know, I'm feeling like I'm in church here. And I, I corrected it elsewhere. And I said to them, I said, let's not say questions and answers. Let's call it responses to your questions. Do you get the, do you get the implication? Because sometimes you may be sounding too absolute. Whereas many times, so I say it's responses, not answers. Answers sometimes take a longer route than what you just said. So it's a response. Many times, the response you give will not elicit another question. Are you here? All right. <laughs> Does that bless you? Uh-huh. Don't say, let me answer you. Let me respond to you. It's a better way. And I'm particular about that because I know words mean a lot. So that I don't limit myself in understanding. Is that clear? Good. So, in our study of scripture, are you good? I'm, you're fine, right? Uh-huh. Let me tell you something about this meeting. So, I made up my mind that something I wanted to teach at our workers and training convention that I did not, I'll teach it here. <laughs> Don't clap here. Make sure you understand it, okay? <laughs> I love you. Right, come on. So, I made up my mind that I was going to teach here what I, I was going to teach. I said, no, let me do it in your car house. That's what I'm doing. 
Okay. So, the context of it, that's why I'm taking this time. So that when we get on the subject, we'll just be going. All right? The only person that might have a problem is the one that joins us in the middle. We'll trust the spirit of truth. (laughs) (laughs) To guide he or she. Amen. Ephesians 1. So the hope of his calling, we have said in March, refers to the expectation, right, of the calling. And we said that calling is general, right? We saw that in March. Now, let us now find the context of Ephesians. Because our next text that we're going to look at, there are two major prayers in Ephesians. We, have, we read one last time, right? We didn't finish it. And we're not going to. The second one is in Ephesians 3. I will go there tomorrow. Are you here? Uh-huh. So Ephesians 1, what is the context of the book of Ephesians? Where is the author speaking from? Remember, you are going to have buzzers. Buzzers, I call them landmarks. You have codified language. You also have something called motif. I mentioned that in March. M-O-T-I-F. A motif is a pattern. A pattern that you will see as you read scripture. So this is a pattern. I showed you some, one in the morning where every writer of the four gospels used the word beginning. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We saw a pattern that they also started from Genesis. Everybody did. So it's a biblical motif that Genesis is the foundation of Bible theology. Remember in March, we went around the concept of end of the world. Can you remember? And foundation of the world. Can you remember that? Good. And we saw it as a motif, a pattern. And we also said that I will refresh your memory that by using foundation and end, which is completion, that the Bible can also be called a house story. Can you remember? A home story. Someone building his house. Does it make sense? So look at Ephesians. Learning something? You learning something? So Ephesians 1, I, Paul, or Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let me explain apostle to you so that it makes better sense. Now, today's language, when you say apostle, is senior man of God. Now, I'm not saying this to denigrate anyone. I, I respect people and I respect men and women of God. And, and, and I mean, with the honor God has placed on them. But we have to interpret scriptures properly. If you say apostle, the word apostle is sent one. One that is sent. Now, let me use it in today's language. In today's language, we have made it look like somebody who oversees churches. No, that's not true. 
Overseeing churches is not, or having plenty churches. No, that's not what it means. When you say apostle, if you sat in the first century church and you said apostle, there was no glamour to it because of the meaning of that word. It had no glamour. What it meant, I don't know whether I use that phrase here, pastor, is errand boy. Someone that you send errands. Do you know, I mean, there's someone, you say, go, please go and do this. That's apostle. Errand boy. That's what apostle is. I won't use the word boy, but somebody you send on errands. So, today's language that we use among charismatic churches has not captured it well. It has no glamour to it. So, I'm no longer a reverend. I'm not an apostle. <laughs> There's no glamour to it. It's a mission phrase. I, Paul, on errand for Jesus Christ. Does it make sense? By the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it says blessed, okay, landmark, blessed, I'm not sure yet, blessed, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. If I, there was one um, Muslim guy, he was a bit confused, was on Facebook. I know him. Uh, so he was like, um, I don't understand what Christians mean by we bless God. Can you bless God? Of course, men and brothers started going, eh, it's not like that. So I just went there. I said, the Greek is shulogitis. Speak well of. We said, oh, thank you. So, we speak well of God. Aha. Uh-huh. We say thank you. But the other one is just going round and round and round and round and round. Like roundabouts. So, when, when, when he says, blessed be God, what comes to mind first? Right? We said, there must have been a conversation that you must not eavesdrop. So, oh, if I'm used to my Bible, what will step out of my mind immediately is Melchizedek and Abraham. Blessed be the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Remember, Paul says also in the heavenlies. Blessed be Abraham of the most high God. Are you here? So that comes to my mind. Of course, other texts will line up immediately in the Psalms. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Now, you know we said that that word in the Hebrew means to congratulate, to welcome, to accept. So we are not welcoming God. We are actually acknowledging who he is. But when it is used for us, we are using it because we have been welcomed. Do you understand? Uh So, blessed be God. That's Melchizedek. Then he says, that's Genesis 14, 20, yeah? And it says, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, 
If it says possessor, possessor actually could mean owner. It could mean somebody who has a right and title to it. Possessor of heaven and earth. Okay. And it says, who has delivered thine enemies to your hands? So watch this. Heaven and earth. Where do I read heaven and earth? Genesis 1. So he says, Abraham is blessed. I've read heaven and earth. Are those landmarks? Huh? That means even the Old Testament use codified language. You keep reading backwards. So, okay, so bl- blessed be God, the Father of our Lord, who has blessed us. Okay. Was Abraham the first to be blessed? No. We had Noah, Genesis 9-1. But was he the first? No. It had to be Genesis 1-28. Are you here? So, immediately, I go to Genesis 1-28. Who has blessed us with all blessings of the Spirit? Can you remember? In the heavenly places. So, I'm pausing. Don't forget that there's no verse to it. So, which means, as I'm reading, I just say, who has chosen us in him? When? Huh? When? Before when? Is that foundation of the world? You know, in March, we saw that word there. Foundation of the world. We saw that in Genesis, uh, in, in March, right? Foundation of the world. And we said, which part of the Bible is that? So, which means the blessedness Paul is referring to is found where? So, the context of this must emerge from Genesis. So, I'm going to assume you were around in March. Amen. And we said, Genesis is what kind of story? A home story. Right? Come on, guys. We said, Genesis shows us that the earth is what to God? It's his temple. It's resting place. Mm, is that what Paul intended? Let's see that Ephesians again. Does he use Genesis phrases? Does Paul refer to temple? Mm. Ephesians 1, 10. It might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in where? Now, what did we call temple in March? Heaven and? So, it is temple? So, mark it, temple. Just put a comma. Let's study together. Heaven. Then, don't forget verse 3 says heavenly places. I'll allow the places for the purpose of this study. Heavenly places. Then he says that Jesus himself at his own right hand in verse 20 in the heavenly places. Okay? Now, look at chapter 2. He uses 
heavenly places again in six. Okay? So, you know, in March we said heaven is union of heaven and earth. I mean, sorry, temple is what? Union of heaven and earth. Can you remember? What else? Mankind. Can you remember? So, now, look at this. So, in Ephesians 2, it says in 12, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, but now in Christ Jesus, who you, who were sometimes afar off, are made near by the blood, for he is our peace, who has made both, Ah, are you verse 14? Who has made both? Is that temple? So put that temple motif. Temple motif, sorry. Temple motif. So how many temple motifs have we seen? We've highlighted five. So temple motif, one. And how you will know he's talking about temple, look at 14. He had broken down the middle wall of partition. That was in the old temple. So temple motif. Abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances to making himself one twin, one new man. Okay, so making peace. 16, in my reconcile both unto God. So both into God. Is that temple motif? So temple motif 16. And in one body by the cross, having slain the image thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were far off and to them that are near. Temple? Good. So temple motif. So for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Still temple motif, access. Then he says, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellowship with the saints and the household of God. Now, remember in March, we said, house and household are the same. Beith. So, is that temple motif? Now, look at 20. Let's read 20 together. And are built upon. Stop. That's a house. That's a house, right? Built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ has been the. Is that foundation? Is that temple? Okay, it's become clear now. Let's take 21 together, everybody. In whom all the building. Can you see now? So we've been talking about the building since. Come on. Go on. Fitly framed together. Grows up into what? So what have we been talking about since chapter 1? A temple. Can you see? Continue now. Let's go. 22. In whom you also are builded together for and for God through the is that a temple story? So we'll understand Ephesians reading it as narrating God's temple. So it's a temple com- context, I mean context here, yeah, because it's reading from Genesis. Is it making sense? Is it making sense? Okay, look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 6. The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So, the Gentiles in the same body, temple, temple narrative. Okay, good. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Of whom the whole family in where? Is heaven and earth temple motif? Heaven and earth is named. So verse 16 will be our text tomorrow. So let's leave it for now. So we are reading about God's temple. 
And in March, we said, in hope of his calling, we said, the temple of God is the earth. Are you here? Is the whole earth. The whole earth is his resting place. Now, let me mention something again. The earth, now, when you know what the earth is about, you will know who you are. Because man was made the sixth day. The sixth day, the earth was formed. Then he put man to have dominion over the earth. So, man's purpose is tied to where? The earth. So, the identity of the earth, right, gives man his own identity. Let me throw one thing at you quickly. In Genesis 6, when the destruction of the earth, the flood of Noah was going to come, notice that Genesis 6, it said, the earth is filled with violence, the heart of man is wicked. He interpreted or in, interplayed the earth and man, the earth and man, the earth and man together, which means that the earth and man share a common identity. We'll see that as we proceed. So, Paul here is writing about the temple. What is in the temple of God? That's what he's writing about. Foundation of the world. Then that foundation, he now says, we are built upon the foundation, though a different Greek word, because that one has to do with the house. Uh, foundation of apostles, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Then he says, we are growing up into a temple. Now, when Paul is saying temple, don't think about Moses' tabernacle. Moses himself was seeing the temple when he was building the temple. I showed you that when I talk about 3D. Can you remember 3D? In March. I know what I taught you in March. So 3D. So which means Moses was warned. Oh boy. Don't build according to Twitter. Because, you know, Moses grew up in Egypt. So, assuming he learned architecture. If you tell Moses, I need um, a house. God says, Moses, I need a house. Moses will think like an Egyptian. And they will say, okay, let me build a house. I say, mm-hmm. I know you are building a house, but this one must be unique to me. So I will show you how. So there will be similarities, similarities in the, what Moses will build because he has to build with his own knowledge. Then the Lord will now give him what will make this one unique. Now, if you look at Exodus 25 to 40, you will see the uniqueness. That uniqueness is found in how Moses built the tabernacle just like the Garden of Eden. Because in the Bible, the Garden of Eden was the first temple. That was the first temple. Are you here? So, when it says, according to what was shown you, which means that you cannot go outside Eden. Now, let me press you further. Are you here? Now, in Luke 23, verse 42 to 43, remember that fellow on the cross with Jesus. The guy said, 
They were all saying, well, this guy, if you are Elijah, I mean, if, you are, if you are a true man of God, if you are a righteous man, you know, come down from the cross, let us be delivered. And they said, keep quiet. Ah, we are all here for what we did. This man has done nothing. That shows you a believer. It's interesting that that guy knew what was happening more than all the apostles. And it's very, you know, you could have written the guy off that, who is this one? But it was one that had the explanation. It's interesting how we see, how God sees. And then says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now, when you talk to someone who is dying, it shows the insight he had. There is nobody in Israel who thought that a man can begin a kingdom from death. Nobody begins a kingdom from death. That fellow knew he was going to rise from the dead. A kingdom can only happen in life. The Jew never thought about a kingdom after life. It was a kingdom here. He said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now look at the response of Jesus. I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, interestingly, we've been fighting over uh, whether it's today, that day, or that today is an emphasis. And we left the real issue. It's like Matthew 16. Who is the rock? The Catholic says, Peter is the rock. Upon this rock, I build my church, the gates of hell. Because they call Peter the first pope, though with a wife. What a pattern. No, we, revelation, no, 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 no. The rock is the revelation of Jesus Christ. No, the rock is the church. And we missed the real issue happening. When they were there, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell. The truth is that where they were making that statement, where he made that statement was called the gates of hell. That's the name of the place. It was like the HQ of idol worship in that area. So when he said, I will upon this rock. Now, if you say the revelation of Jesus Christ, you are right to an extent. But that's not what explains it. Upon this rock, which means I am going to ground zero. I'm going to the HQ of the devil. That's where I'm going to start. Jesus was declaring a fight. It was like saying, come on, let's fight. I'm coming to fight you. I'm going to the hell of hell. It's from there I will build my church. And like you say, I dare you hell. You can't withstand this one. This one, leave on. It will not prevail against it. So sometimes we leave the real issue and go after what is not as important. Who's following what I'm saying here? So when he said, today you'll be with me. The word paradosos in the Greek if you check strong, you see it there. It means you'll be with me in the Garden of Eden. That was what he said. Notice the Garden of Eden is the closure of the book of Revelation. Genesis 2, Garden of Eden. Revelation 22, 21 and 22, Garden of Eden. And Revelation 21 says it's called the Tabernacle of God. Because in Genesis 3, we saw the Lord God walking. Can you remember? 
walking. That is his house. It can't be Adam and Eve's house because he sent them out of his house. So that is his house, his temple. Are you following this? Who's learning something here? Today you will be with me. So what we call the kingdom of God is also called the Garden of Eden. Today you will be with me in the Garden of Eden. Today we will be in the garden. Today you will be with me in paradises. It's not where the dead go to. Paul was there. 2 Corinthians 12. said I was caught up in paradise. The Greek says I was caught up in the garden of Eden. What was Cain banished away from? From the garden. Jesus says from that point whether it's Noah Pay attention. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were always looking at a land. A land in the land. One. Two, do you notice also that when Abraham was going to worship in Genesis 12, 13, 18, no, 19, you see Abraham found the plain of Mamre and built an altar. The word plain in the Hebrew means a big tree. So they followed that motif of using trees to explain the supernatural. It happened to Moses. The burning bush. Are you here? Jesus himself now called himself, I am the true vine. Do you get it? Which is a tree. Are you following this? So you see that motif. What we eventually have, because we are born of the Spirit, it's called fruits of the Spirit. We are called first fruit. So, you see that, that Genesis 2 continues in the whole Bible. That is, is that landmark? Landmarks. You spot it. So, Paul is teaching from Genesis. So that by the time we get to that prayer, are you here? <laughs> you will know why he prayed that prayer. That prayer can only be understood when you understand, understood, understand, that he is teaching about the temple. Learning something? When you understand that he's teaching about the temple. So, the earth is God's house. The whole earth is his house. If the whole earth is his house and being blessed means that we are welcome into his house. Are you here? We are welcome into his house. Inheritance means we have a role to play in his I'm going back to macho. Uh In his house. And this house is also a household. So the role we have is a family thing. This is why it was in Genesis, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means that it's our family ministry. But this family is not biological. This family is a family of faith. That is why it was not Cain, it was Abel. If it was biological, it would have been both of them. If sin was transferable biologically, then Abel would not be the righteous one. 
So that biological thing, dead dam for Genesis, dead dam. is dead. Because right there, Cain is called of the righteous of the devil, Abel is called of the righteous one. So it can't be, there can be no sin nature transferred by sex. That's nonsense. So it's not Cain, it's Abel. Unfortunately too, when we got to, uh, sorry, not unfortunately, we now saw um, Enoch. Enoch had Methuselah, who had Lamech, and then had Noah. Can you see? Biological. Why is that pattern set? So that you will know that God builds a family in the earth. So you know it's not biological family. It wasn't automatic. Then Abraham had Ishmael, but it was not Ishmael. It was Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and Esau was not Esau, it was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, it was Joseph. It continued like that. So, so that you not think it's a natural culture, it's not. It's a family fact of God's earth. Are you here? So, this ministry, this calling is a family calling. This inheritance is the role we have to play in God's earth. Paul says we have been blessed. Paul says the fruit, the, the way we know we are in this plan is that he gave us his spirit. Are you here? Good. Then he says, if you are a Gentile and a Jew, you are now in one body. If you are far, you are now near. We have access to one father. We are building a temple, a house, family in heaven and earth. There's one body. He's just repeating himself using different synonyms. So if they ask you, what is the core of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church? Unity. One faith. One Lord. One baptism. One body. Ephesians 4, verse 4 and 5. Right? One spirit. So, where does God establish the oneness? In his temple. Right? Good. So, think about the temple when we get to Ephesians tomorrow morning. You blessed? You're blessed? Are we his house tonight? Let's just stand to our feet and bless him.